Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. If your hard skills are not 100% there, your soft skills can complement the training process. So if, for example, if you're interviewing for a job and you have eight out of 10 of the hard skills, but you come in with a really good work ethic and integrity and you know fantastic communication, the employer will be much more likely to be like, oh, we can train this person. Because every employer will look at what's trainable and what's not trainable. And the things that are trainable are the hard skills. The things that are not trainable are the soft skills, at least not as easily. If you have the soft skills coming in that can help to show how you'll make the hard skills shine or develop further, then it's kind of like two thumbs up. Turners, it's Ash Stahl here. As usual, we've got another week on the podcast in the work category with Sarah Sutton, who is the CEO and founder of Flex Jobs. I was just telling her I saw that she's known as the queen of remote work, and she mentioned that she doesn't call herself that, which is really helpful to know. And you know, she has more than twenty years of experience in the online job market industry. Um, as as myself, being a career coach, having worked in this space for a decade, it feels really comforting to talk to someone else who probably has so much information to offer. She's also the founder of remote.co, which is a one-stop resource for remote teams and companies. Um, you know, she has so many different accolades. She was named a young global leader within the World Economic Forum for her work in technology and the employment field. And she's just committed to providing education and awareness uh, and, uh, you know, around this topic. And she also is a mother, um, which I think is really fun to ask you a lot about, Sarah. So we're going to talk about the future of the workforce. I've got so many questions about where the job market is going, what to expect in the future, how to stay relevant. Sarah, thank you so much for making the time to connect. My pleasure, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And I, I just, um, I want to hear a little bit about your story and what led you to be interested in this, because I never thought that I would be talking about job hunting or the workforce at all. And I'm curious if this was a fascination for you. And I saw that you dropped out of Berkeley in your junior year. So you've been going through so much with your career. And I just want to hear a little bit about what got you here. Sure. You know, I think that as an entrepreneur, I, I'm an unexpected entrepreneur, I guess I would say when I was in college, uh, I was doing something completely different, majoring in international relations and had a very organized, geeky, uh, Excel spreadsheet with what I was going to do every semester for the rest of my college career and mm-hmm. <laughs> probably beyond. Um, and then the internet came up and I was, uh, at the time, I was looking for a job across country. I was looking for an internship, actually. And uh, it, it was, you know, really early. It, 
there were no job sites then actually. (laughs) So it wasn't an option and, and it kind of came up in terms of somebody brought up the concept of an entrepreneur and we're, and a friend and I were like, what would we do? You know? And it, it kind of, my first company is born out of that, that entrepreneurial concept of being able to create something where you see a pain point. And so for me, I'm very much I, I lead by passion uh, and wanting to solve problems. And for me, helping people find jobs that better fit their lives is a problem that I faced both back in college, but also uh, fast forward to when I was uh, pregnant with my first child and looking at the the landscape of opportunities that would allow me to both stay in my career and be productive and challenge myself while also being a parent, um, of which I, I very much wanted to be an involved parent um, and hands-on. So both of those were started at times that were maybe a little unexpected. Uh, one was dropping out of college and the other was right when I was starting a family, which neither I firmly recommend to anybody, but, <laughs> but it, uh, it, it played out really well. And I, and if I add one last element, you know, I've reflected a little bit, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek and the, the kind of start with why concept. And for me, I realized that very early on in my life, I had two parents, um, who one, my mom was a stay at home mom and my dad was a, a, you know, worked, but he also worked in the film industry. And so he traveled a ton. He was not around. So while he was providing economic and financial responsibility and support for the family, he was not there from a, from a day-to-day or in many other kind of like the, yeah, the day-to-day child rearing, it just was not his thing. And he, he wasn't there for it. So when I got to my career, I really started to realized that I kind of wanted both. I wanted to be a, you know, a really good parent. And I really also wanted to be a financially stable provider for my family. Mm. So it's kind of been interesting how it emerged. I didn't realize that until more in the last few years, but it's something that I think it is why I found myself starting two different job, job sites, essentially job services. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, j- juggling, you were saying you don't necessarily re- recommend dropping out of school or, um, <laughs> talk, talk to me about what you think has been a hindrance. And even though you might be grateful for it, if you could do something differently or you were starting over, you would take note, what would be some differences that you would have taken into your career with you? Oh, you know, I, um, I think some of the lessons that I've learned throughout my career are, I don't know if it's, it's totally through my career. Follow like I've really taken a lot of zigzags in my path. Uh, so I I dropped out of college and started. Uh, it was called Job Direct, the first online entry level job service. Uh, we then you know so I I really just dove in because it felt right. It was like a window of opportunity, not just in the market but also for myself that felt really right. Mm-hmm. And we we sold that to a public company to Corn Ferry International um, in two thousand and one. And then I went on to learn from different people. So I think for me, I've always wanted to work and and to be around people who are smarter than me and who I can learn from. And that's still true today. Absolutely. And it's something that I, I would continue to like hold on to maybe even more so when I was younger mm-hmm. um, or if I was giving advice to my younger self. Uh, the other thing I learned from my first company that I I very much had to go through to learn to realize how valuable it was is just your gut instinct. Yes. So the, you know, at the time we dropped out of college and, uh, I didn't have a degree, didn't have an MBA, which at that time starting a company, it was really expected that you did. Um, entrepreneurship was not like it is now where 
you know, it's very known that you can, you know, start, start companies quite easily. But back then it was an MBA was required. And I found myself often saying that I think your gut instinct is far more important than an MBA and that we tend to push it down, um, and, and really I would encourage us to rise it up, to mm-hmm. listen to that gut instinct. And it's not just career decisions. It's also, you know, how you're executing projects. It's also kind of, it, it can be applied in a lot of different creative ways in your life. Yeah. And, you know, not just career, but your personal decisions. Like mm-hmm. I know that you're a single mom now, and I would love to hear like not just some of the challenges, but some of the solutions that you're finding, because I'm watching some of my friends now just go through having babies and I'm seeing how much it is all consuming on their body, (laughs) on their spirit, on their mind and how mom brain is a real thing. Like they get a little groggy. And in fact, I have a client just the other day who she needs, she works from 8am to 7pm and her company told her she has to be on email after work, but she needs to feed her baby and put it to bed. So What are some challenges that you're seeing um, in the workforce as it relates to moms and just our career in general as women? Yeah, I mean, I I I honestly at the event last week, um, and I was talking a little bit about how I I was fortunate in so many ways that my parents raised me to not see limits as you know certainly not gender biased, and um, it wasn't until I was pregnant with my first child that actually for the first time really saw a wall. You know, I, I had been laid off when I was seven months pregnant. Um, as it was the only job I had been in that I, my ethics didn't align with the, the funders basically. He was the, he, he was yeah the funder, the investor essentially. And true to form, he laid me off and I was seven months pregnant. Uh, and it was really difficult to, <laughs> I both wanted to work and financially needed to work. Uh, and so I started interviewing in my third trimester, wow. uh, really naive and also quite stubborn, but also I, um, you know what? I still have the same skills. Like, so it was just kind of this, I was just going to go out and do it. And I had multiple people say like, Hey, you know, basically looking at my pregnant belly and saying like, Hey, apply again in six months which just started to really hit me of how, how important it was. And flex jobs was largely born out of that. I mean, my own frustration and in, in looking at the landscape, knowing that flexibility and remote work and all of these different technologies that we have available in the workplace and that we already utilize just to varying degrees could be used to also support and help the, the employee or the worker, yeah. but really it wasn't being. Um, and so I wanted to create an easier way for people to find those opportunities that would better fit their lives. And, and flexibility can mean different things for different people for, mm-hmm. you know, I looked at part-time work, you know, really nice high level professional part-time onsite job would have worked for me, honestly. Mm. But I also looked at remote. I looked at consulting and freelance and a variety of things, but it was really difficult to find those opportunities. So that's, that's why I created flex jobs. So as a mom, when I was building flex jobs and, you know, having my first child and then my second 20 months later, uh, it was, it was very real. And the, the kind of the societal and professional empathy that goes towards what that means for a woman is just not there very readily. Um, and so going through it myself, I started to realize how, how broken our system is. Um, and I know I am not the first woman. There are many women before me, professional women who've realized this, but how important it is that we try to fix it. And one of the areas of a solution I saw, and I was, you know, building inherent in my company was flexibility through technology. Mm. And particularly as it relates to remote and working from home, um, 
you referenced your colleague who was being asked to be, uh, you know, working by email after hours. I don't know if they framed it that way, but that's working remotely. Yeah. So basically they're telling her she needs to be working or on call working, you know, however, 18 hours a day, which is illegal, (laughs) you know, is probably not the terms of her contract. Um, but that, that we all, most, all professional kind of caller jobs, integrate remote work to some degree already is kind of my belief, Mm. whether it's 3% of our time, 10%, 20% or more, but we all work mobily. Nobody does all of their job at their desk in their office anymore. Mm. And so we're already doing it and it's time to kind of call it what it is, what it is and start to enable workers to use it for their benefit as well. Meaning to reduce the conflict in between work and life, Mm. uh, just quite simply socioeconomically, we've changed so much and that we, you know, most families nowadays, the large majority are work dual working income parents or single parents. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't have the same luxury we did, you know, 30, 40 years ago, if you'd call that a luxury, because mm-hmm. there's a whole different conversation there about gender empowerment. So, <laughs> um, but it's, it's really, it's been really exciting to be able to create this, uh, environment that our team, and we have a lot of working parents on our team, as well as people who need, you know, need or want flexibility for different reasons. Uh, but to really support them through that and mm-hmm. to, and to see how beautifully and fluidly it can work and work well. Well, so tell me a little bit about, you know, there's so many people listening right now that they really care about their career and they really want to grow it and nurture it. What are some things that people should be mindful of as it relates to, um, the future of the workforce? Cause I know you're surrounded by so many statistics and so much around the workforce. I would love your opinion on what's to come. Yeah. I mean, that's a very big, big area. Yeah. <laughs> Go in a lot of directions. Um, I'll touch first on kind of the, the remote workspace particularly, I think is, is, as I've mentioned, growing rapidly. Uh, it's not acknowledged as such formally as much in organizations or by workers yet, but it is happening. And so being technologically comfortable, um, challenging yourself, uh, to pay attention to security as you relate to your remote environment as well. Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, that, that certainly carries over in your, prof- in your personal life also, but, uh, being comfortable with technology is going to be very important if you're not already there. And that doesn't mean adopting every, you know, every tool out there, but it does in your field and in your career path, being familiar with what's used and, and working to, to fine tune that. Uh, there's so many, when it gets to a broader place of kind of skills of the workforce, a lot of them are the softer skills uh, that we're seeing. Um, I mean, certainly there's some industries that are really heavily growing, you know, tech and medical and health and um, area, some that are quite obvious, but really throughout all segments of the career fields in order to be successful more and more reports are coming out with its communications, it's problem solving, it's creativity. It's a lot of these soft skills that kind of, unfortunately in our education systems aren't getting taught as readily. And so I think we as individuals need to just continue to develop those. And there's some wonderful resources to develop soft skills that, you know, we, we have a soft skills assessment on our platform, uh, that as a, as a flex jobs member, you can take, and then we're actually going to be integrating some soft skills courses relatively soon, which I'm excited about too, for, for users to continue to develop those, um, so that they can 
collaborate and kind of have that creative problem solving that falls outside of the kind of automation that's happening in a lot of areas or roles with robotics and AI, that those are kind of those areas of technology are coming after the more straightforward roles in many cases, um, or what, what, the companies or technology deems as straightforward, at least, mm-hmm. uh, and such as client ser- services, for example, you know, online chat, automated chat, those kinds of things. I personally still believe there's a huge benefit to the human interaction on those things, but by and large, in the industry, there's a lot of change happening over the the single task jobs, and and kind of so you want to focus on the things that can kind of carry over through different career paths. Beautiful. Okay. And for anybody listening, when you're mentioning um, soft skills and the value of that, why, what are some soft skills that you think are particularly valuable that people maybe are lacking in the workforce today or still just need to work on? And um, what do you think are some jobs that you just kind of see disappearing? Um, Interesting. Um, So the soft skills or the skills in general that I, that I personally um, find the most compelling are proactive communication, um, being a really good communicator, but that means not being a passive communicator. Uh, as more and more technology comes into play, such as remote, uh, you have to speak up. People can't necessarily look over and see how you're doing or seeing, see your face that you're, you know, you're really frustrated or see that you're stomping through the office, for example. So being proactive in your communication and kind of trying to shed a little bit of the people pleasing and instead trying to listen a little bit more to what you, you need to do and to vocalize. Um, but in a, like a collaborative and I guess as communication also relates to negotiation, you know, being a good communicator can also help to be a good negotiator. Although I think negotiating skills are another area that are really strong. Um, being intellectually curious, uh, is a skill that will serve, I believe us all in many different ways, but, uh, it, it helps lead you to uh, not only growth in your role, but also a diversification of knowledge. And it can, it can translate into the passion for the job because it really can show that you have a genuine interest. Um, and that can start everywhere, you know, in the job search process from when you are writing the cover letter uh, through to, you know, the interviewing and certainly carrying over into your job and career. Um, another soft skill that I think is you know, in many cases, extra valuable nowadays is a a strong work ethic. Mm. Um, knowing that it takes, you know, a lot of things take work and they take time. It doesn't mean that the work necessarily yields output because oftentimes you can, you know, certain things can come your way or you're naturally a little stronger at certain things that, that can be easier for you than for others at times, but having a strong work ethic carries over to managers and, you know, employ potential employers, uh, in all areas of your life that I think is, is, you know, just really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll, I'll toss out two more. One is empathy, uh, being, you know, just having heart. A lot of the skills that are listed as future work skills are ones that tend to be more caring, like paying attention and being able to translate how somebody else is feeling and understanding what that is. Not only will that help you in different roles, such as, you know, if you're doing user, user experience design or product design or design work in general or marketing or advertising, but being able to empathize with others is also a a really powerful professional skill in, in 
I, I would say all roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last one is integrity. Mm-hmm. If I had to toss one big one for me, my team knows that integrity is, uh, integrity and proactive communication are probably my two main go-tos, but integrity is just so important. Um, at least it is for me and, and, and my, my belief system. Yeah. Beautiful. And I know that, um, you know, ultimately we need to go to bed with ourselves at night and feel good about how we're showing up in the world and the integrity piece. I know that it can be so haunting if you're not in integrity and there's so many layers to integrity, right? It's like integrity in your job and it's integrity with yourself. You know, like you mentioned those Mm -hmm. investors you didn't feel alignment with. Um, so I know that a lot of people walk into a job and they have a belief that they don't have enough experience or that they're lacking something. But when I heard your, your soft skills, they sounded like they were just so relevant really no matter what. And so I'm curious, like, are there some harder skill sets that you think are going to continue to be very valuable or jobs? I mean, absolutely. But I think that those are more job specific. Um, at least for my yeah, from my personal perspective, I mean, if you're looking at a, a data entry job versus a marketing job, the answer for those are so different. Um, so I think that again, having familiarity and expertise in your, in your field, uh, is really important. And those are hard skills that you, you want to fine tune. Uh, you know, if you're in the medical field, that's a whole different ballgame, right? Like each field has their, their, each role has their, uh, kind of list of hard skills that are non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. And you have to pay attention to those. Um, but I think the soft skills, what they end up doing is they differentiate you in the workplace. Um, they differentiate, differentiate you during the application process uh, because you have the, if you work hard to have the hard skills, um, not only, you know, you layer on the soft skills, uh, then it's, it's not like one plus one equals two. It's a little bit more like one plus one equals 10. Um, and what I also would say is that if your heart, if your hard skills are not a hundred percent there, your soft skills can complement the, the training process. So if, for example, if you're interviewing for a job and you have eight out of 10 of the hard skills, but you come in with a really good work ethic and integrity and, you know, fantastic communication, the employer will be much more likely to be like, Oh, we can train this person. Cause every employer will look at what's trainable and what's not trainable. And the things that are trainable are the hard skills. The things that are not trainable are the soft skills, at least not as easily. Mm-hmm. They're, they're technically trainable, but it's, it usually falls for most, you know, employers, a lot of them don't have well-developed programs to address soft skill development, mm-hmm. um, particularly smaller, medium-sized businesses. Uh, and, and not in all cases, but it's, if you have the soft skills coming in that can help to show how you'll make the, the hard skills shine or develop further, then it's kind of like two thumbs up. Yeah, definitely. And, um, speaking of, you know, remote work and of course I want to ask you about the gig economy, how more employees than ever are turning their jobs or, or their, their, um, boss into a client, you know, and becoming freelancers. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what's to come as far as, um, working from home and, um, just becoming a freelancer instead of somebody in the workforce? Yeah. I mean, first I'll differentiate that, you know, working from home and freelancer are not, uh, related actually, because, yeah. you know, many, you know, many work from home jobs or partial remote jobs are employee status. Yes. Um, but the free and, and similarly, a lot of freelance jobs are actually on site. Mm-hmm. So, um, that being said, there's a hybridization that's going on yes. that a lot of these jobs overlap. And so for, for remote work, particularly, um, 
again, I would proactive communication is key. Self-discipline, being able to really identify um, how you work and work well. Uh, and so self-knowledge ties in, but, and then being able to set boundaries for yourself. You know, you referenced talking again about that friend who's expected to work, you know, all the time, essentially um, the boundaries as it relates to technology and filtrating our personal lives, the boundaries are getting blurred. And so I really encourage people if they're working from home, even in part to be sure that they have clear boundaries and communication, even with their family and friends, um, about what that means and for themselves, of course, but it can creep and burnout is a really real thing. And I'm a big fan of trying to create sustainable work environments for myself and my team. And so a lot of that is making sure that you, you cut it off, you know, you, you know, for me, it can be some simple things and not everybody can do this, if, but if you have like a very small apartment and you work from your couch, that's much more difficult than having, you know, a separate area in your house. Uh, even if it's something like you go in a corner and have your desk in a corner and then a, a screen that keeps it separate, but even mentally separating it a bit to create those boundaries so that technology and working remotely does, don't creep into your life in a way that's unhealthy. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And do you have any, whether it's data or just feedback around multitasking? Because I know a lot of people right now are being bombarded more than ever, like you mm-hmm. said, with technology, but also just, you know, conference calls and meetings and they're trying to get as much done as possible. What have you learned about multitasking and creativity? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's incredible right now. It's so overwhelming. Um, I think for so many people. Well, I think it actually is for everyone if we stopped and, and paid attention. The level of stimulation cat coming at us now compared to 20, 30 years ago is astoundingly huge. Um, such an increase. And so I would say that people do it differently. I mean, I think there's some gender biases in this area too, that men are better at not multitasking. Mm-hmm. Um, and women uh, tend to err towards multitasking more. So some of it is just knowing your own, again, knowing your own bandwidth on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that it's, I, I, I don't have statistics. I would say that the, we're looking at a lot of interesting work place trends with this. Cause on one hand we have a lot of offices that are going open office space or, or switching locations and kind of having these like very free environments, um, where they're supposed to be considered flexible, but what it also ends up doing is kind of interrupting your stability. Um, and at the open offices, I myself am not a fan of them at all. Um, at least not from a noise standpoint, I find that those interruptions and additional layers of stimulation are just maddening, but it's also, it's the online onslaught things like, you know, and I don't want to I won't badmouth individual tools, but there's, there's certain tools, messaging tools that are utilized in the workforce, um, that the, the constant, the same thing as the constant text, the constant, um, I am just the messages that come at you nonstop. So being able to try to create a way for yourself to 
identify how you best work. Um, what I will say is we've done a, we do a survey every year. Uh, we call it our super survey and we ask lots of different questions about why people work uh, remotely or why they want flexible work. Um, one of the questions we consistently ask is if you had something important to do, where would you go to get it done? Like if you had a really big project, where would you go? And it, I believe in the last survey, it was, it came in at around 85% saying that they would um, be out of the office. Yeah. Uh, entirely with another small port percentage of people saying that they would be in the office before or after work hours. Wow. So basically <laughs> and just like not the office. Yeah. yeah. Single digits that would actually be in the office to be productive, to get a really important job done, which is really astounding and really terrifying too, that it tells us our system is incredibly broken. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, this gets me also wanting to ask you about the co-working space because I think that they branded themselves as a creative workspace when really it can be creative, but it also can be distracting. So, you know, this seems like it just solidifies that feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think co-working spaces, some are better than others. Uh, and I know you can rent rooms at a you know, variety of them. And, and I also would say that there is a very true element to um, working remotely is not for everybody, especially if you're doing it 100% of the time. A lot of people derive their social and personal interactions from their workplace, and that is completely fine. Uh, you know, my, I myself, when I was younger, at different stages in my life, I loved the, the social dynamics of the office. I love that, that camaraderie and being able to go out for a drink after work or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, where I am now in my life, I, I don't need that. I don't want that actually. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it helps me, um, to be more productive and to be more efe efficient and effective in my whole life. Um, in my life as a whole, I guess I should say, uh, rather than spending time with that kind of in office politics or socialization or, um, and instead my team, we really focus on a ton of dynamics and we build culture uh, in a very concerted way. It's very important to us. So we have a lot of the same relationships that can be built, but it's really different. And so co-working spaces can very much serve that purpose for a lot of people. Mm. And I do think that that's important. And I also think it's a great outlet for a lot of companies that are starting, um, especially smaller companies or companies that are trying to branch into new markets and don't want to have to take on the overhead real estate uh, because it does, it is, you know, entrepreneurially, entrepreneur friendly, I should say, uh, when it comes to real estate costs, if you, if you can utilize renting a room or renting, you know, an offices in a co-working space. And this makes me want to ask you about a couple topics. Number one is creativity and one is culture. I I would love to hear what do you think are some indicators of a toxic culture and what do you think are some indicators of an incredible company culture? Uh, I mean, I think a lot of, I think there's gut instinct on that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the toxic culture stuff, you know, the, the real, really difficult micromanager, uh, micromanaging that happens in a lot of cultures. There's a lot of uh, clickiness, you know, a lot of office politics. There's, um, a lot of pressure mm -hmm. that sometimes I think depending on what industry and in, there's different levels of it, but really unhealthy levels of pressure, uh, stress. I mean, in fact, they say that or there's a study I read a while ago that talked about how a lot of mental health issues get triggered by being in the office. It doesn't mean they start there, they're latent, but much of the stress that comes out of our work lives, such as anxiety, depression, um, and just, it could be even something as a commute stress, right? Mm -hmm. Like daily on our system over, over years, uh, can trigger these latent, you know, mental health issues. And so a lot of anxiety and depression particularly come, can help 
well, they start to show in the workplace. And so I think that if, if you're experiencing anything that is bringing you to those places where you're feeling, um, really negative self images, or, you know, I, I think that if you're feeling low at like constantly low energy and really unmotivated and unengaged, I mean, those, those, I'm not equating those with me- kind of more serious mental health issues, but those are signs that it's not a healthy work culture for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a, not an environment which you're going to thrive. And so, uh, that being said, and then I, if you flip the coin to a healthy work culture, you know, somewhere where you do feel engaged and you do enjoy, you, you wake up feeling happy to going to work and wanting to do your job and wanting to learn and, um, enjoying your coworkers and, uh, being proud of your company, being proud of your role, even if you're not proud of your company, maybe in some cases, proud of your role, mm-hmm. proud of what you do. You know, I, 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 I often, I, I share this kind of anecdote a lot. It's not a personal one, but I was talking about jobs and how, you know, there's a lot of contention around the concept of following your passion or finding a job that you love and these kinds of elements. And I think that in a, in some ways that can be an ideal, but it's certainly not the norm for everyone. Yeah. And so there's, I, there's, I actually was on YouTube, like these videos of people who love their jobs, but they're in jobs like you know, flipping hamburgers or the person who collects the carts at the grocery store, or, you know, it could be something basically that you typically think is kind of like maybe a a lower skilled, menial, boring, repetitive job. Um, and these videos would show like people loving those jobs and rocking them, Mm -hmm. just rocking them, like, you know, just getting creative with them and having passion for them and being, you know, engaged. And then other people would see, and it just brought smiles to people's faces and, you know, you know, flipping burgers with flair, like, however, however you do it, but where you find that, and, and those are kind of extreme ends of the spectrum, but the concept that we can ideally find pride and joy in what we do in our jobs, um, is something I really, I hold tight on. And I really hope that people can find that even if it's not the right job, like the perfect job, right. Which most of us don't have, um, that you can find joy and pride in it in a way that outweighs the the cons. Mm. Well, you know, and also I think that there's, it's just like a crazy amount of pressure with all of these social constructs, this idea of finding work you love and following your passion. It's like, there's no element of every, like there's, it's not possible to love every single thing about every job. I mean, even for me, um, I love my business, but I don't love technology, like using, figuring out technology. And that's a huge part of mm-hmm. my business. So I think there, there's a lot of things that people look at, which are just necessary to do for the love of the game. And people see it as the reason they don't like their job or the reason that maybe they're not following their passion. So I love that you're opening up this conversation about, you know, work you love versus, you know, just the reality of it's still yeah. work. And I would love some feedback from you just around uh, a couple of things that maybe you've implemented that you think create an incredible culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and to carry over a little bit from what we're saying, and I'll carry into this question, but the purpose of work changes at different times in our life. And that's the other thing to remember, you know, when I was younger and started my first company, I wanted to, you know, go all in. I mean, we did, we slept at the office. We, you know, I worked so much and so hard, but at age 22, 23, 24, that was fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was no problem. I loved it. And all, and my, the average age in our company was about 23. So we all did that. It was, it was fun. Um, it was hard, but it was fun. And so 
the purpose of my job now has changed. And so I have to look at that when looking at culture too, like for me, where I am, I want a certain culture. So the people, when they, when we're hiring, uh, or when we're working with other companies who are trying to figure this out, um, you want to look at what culture, you know, you want to look at both what your company culture is to its core, but then also who the people are in the company and what they bring to that and what they want in that. Mm -hmm. And so there's two, like, you know, there's, it's multidimensional, I guess I would say. So, um, for, you know, I think having a clear culture is important for us. We don't take it for granted from day one. I knew that, you know, my first company was an onsite company and we had such a great culture and I would have people years later say that oh, that was the best job I ever had. And I, I held on to that as a huge professional compliment. And so starting flex jobs, I wanted to carry that into it as well. And how can I create a great, a company that people will say, Oh, that's the best job, um, into a virtual or remote environment. And so it's really conscientious. Uh, it can be, I, I, I almost made a list, although I don't know if I actually wrote it down, but, um, like, what do I like about being in an office and what do I not like? And so for me, it was coming up with the the things in an office that I do want to embrace and what are the, the pain points that I can kind of try to minimize. I am not like, for example, I'm not one for, um, gossip or clickiness or office politics. I don't like any of those. Mm-hmm. So those were things I tried, you know, I, I kind of tried to shed. Um, but what I do like are things like, you know, I converse small, small conversation, you know, you can call it water cooler talk. I, I just call it, you know, friendly conversation mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like sometimes it's happened. Sometimes it has to take a little more initiative when you're remote, but um, it, it doesn't always have to be quite so heavy. And so at the beginning of every team call, for example, or any call I have generally, um, I try to carve out some time in the beginning for like, Hey, how are you? How was your weekend? You know, what's going on? Or if you shared something about, you know, the week prior about your son's baseball game, Hey, how's your son's baseball game? How'd it go? You know, just having those interactions, um, and allowing myself kind of not to say so structured to remember that, you know, Oh, I can bring up kind of random things or, Oh, I was just working on this. What do you think about that? You know, just being, um, kind of true to myself as I would be in an office. Uh, and other things can be fun things like, you know, on Halloween, for example, we, which is coming up, but we, uh, uh, we ask everybody when they on-ramp a variety of questions and it could be something like, what's your favorite restaurant or what's your favorite kind of food or, um, what are your favorite treats? And so we ask the treats one and then we try to pick the, the most common favorites and we actually send out little care packages to our team members, um, with Halloween candy, because one of the fun things of being in office is kind of grabbing candy from somebody else's desk. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, and so we, we, we send those out with a little, you know, fun note. And then we often do, you know, uh, we dress up, uh, from the waist up basically for Halloween and, and have video calls on, on those days sometimes and different teams do different things. But, uh, we've done all kinds of, we do, you know, we've done desktop yoga over the years. We've done trivia nights. We've done, we do brown bags regularly. And we just kind of come up with things and it depends on our team members. Right. And who, you know, we had one team member who was a yoga instructor and she kind of was like, Hey, I'd love to do this. And we're like, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be a variety of things, but just being really conscientious of what a culture, how to engage people, how to create safe spaces for people. For me, it's really important that people can show their true selves at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've had a number, I've talked to so many people who say they feel like they have to hide the fact that they have a family at their job. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for us, that is the opposite. You know, we have a different platform we use that, you know, we're, we have a book club and we have parent, you know, parent resources and we have, uh, 
I think one's called run, walk, hike, you know, like an outdoor one. So people can share information about their lives and pictures and and we can continue to get to know each other and support each other. Mm. And, you know, on that note, I'm curious to hear from you where you think it makes sense not to share, because I know that there's still a limit in your personal life that you want to keep. There's a difference between personal and private, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sometimes it becomes an overshare or somebody has something at home going on that maybe is, is too much for the workplace. Do you have any thoughts on just where the line is or how to figure out who you are at work? Oh, that's a great question. You know, and I'll, I'll rely a little bit on that gut instinct thing. You know, I, I, it's hard, different, different company cultures, uh, kind of inspire different levels of sharing also. So I think it's, I think it's wise, although I wish it weren't always the case, but to get a read of the, a read of that, you know, lay the land of how open is this culture? Um, you know, for example, in my company, you know, we will have people share sensitive situations happening in their life. Uh, maybe not with everyone, but like with certain, you know, it, it, because it's appropriate because we have a very open culture. When I, you know, when I got divorced a few years ago, I, I chose to share that with my team and what I was going through. And it was a fairly, um, there were some extenuating circumstances around it that made it fairly traumatic, uh, particularly in that first six months. And I, I chose to tell my team, um, is particularly the people directly reporting to me because I realized that a me, me showing vulnerability will help others show vulnerability if they want and need it. And quite honestly, I needed it. I also knew that if I hadn't, it was going to show up in different ways. The fact that I was, um, in a, in not my normal headspace, I guess I would say, Mm -hmm. and that it was going to hurt my job. And so people were either going to look at me as if I was not doing my job as well, or they're going to look at me as I'm doing my job as well as I can right now because I have this other thing happening. Yeah, exactly. And so for me, that was really appropriate. And it did very much like so clearly in modeling that behavior, it allowed others to model the behavior, not only, you know, within our team, but to their their reports as well. Mm -hmm. So it was very powerful. Um, but if you're in an organization that is an organization that where everyone else hides their family, you have to be strategic. You have to figure out what's right. Um, if, if it rocks a boat too much or makes a lot of people uncomfortable, you, you know, that can backfire on you professionally. So I would dip your toe in the water, maybe really pay attention to the, you know, get to know certain people and those you trust start sharing. But, um, but it is tricky and it really does depend a bit uh, from a, again, professional strategic position on, on the company. I hate, I hate to say it. I wish it weren't that way. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's just human. And I do think that, you know, you're ultimately there for your job. And, and sometimes there's, I think there's a lot of research around false intimacy. And while you can feel intimacy with people, it reminds me a lot of college where it's like your freshman year, you have these friends, your first semester. And then by the last semester of college, you're like, who are those people that I was the best of friends with? So <laughs> sometimes it's friendships out of convenience. Other times it's friendships out of connection, but it's, it's, you know, in the workplace, it's like about making the most and connecting with people for your own human experience. Uh, but I also know that people do think about that and they do judge, yeah. you know, possibly your performance. If you're, if you're faltering because they know you're going through a breakup or something like that, um, that reflects on your raises that reflects on your job. And I always loved, um, I had a couple employees on my team in the past few years where, um, no matter what I was going through, they were always highly professional and mm-hmm. focused. And I always admired them for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important. And I, I, I think that, you know, my team knows that, 
And actually, one of the things I really share with a lot of other organizations is the value of looking at your team members as whole people, not just as workers, because that compartmentalization, while it can happen in some areas more easily than others, the simple fact is it's a farce. It is, it's a false positive. It's not true. (laughs) You, you can't actually separate those two, um, in a way that truly delineates performance because if somebody's really happy and thriving at home, they're so much more likely to be happy and thriving at work. And, and conversely, if they're, if something terrible is going on in their personal life, um, they're much more likely to carry that with them into work life. And so you, you have to, as a, as an employer, as a business, um, or as a manager of, of other team members, you have to balance them, right? It's like, you always have to look at the short and long-term benefits of things. You always have to look at, uh, the personal and and the personal and the business. Um, you know, as much as, for example, I would love to give a year off maternity for everyone who is going through pregnancy, because I truly think that would be incredible as a business owner. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So it's, you have to try to kind of gauge where you come into that, but, but you are right that there are managers who will hold it against you if you bring up weakness. Mm -hmm. And so that's, again, kind of you looking at the being strategic about the lay of the land in your particular organization um, and probably playing it cautiously. You know, I, I tend to, I tend to recommend at work going in more cautiously and opening up versus kind of diving in the deep, deep end of, Hey, here's who I am. And here's my whole entire life. Yeah. And you know, and then, cause you can't come back from that. Yeah. <laughs> you can always like add more, but you yeah. can't come back from it. Well, and one thing that I think there's a bit of an interesting standard is with alcohol. Like I know a lot of teams mm-hmm. will go out and have drinks, but ultimately if you're the one that drinks too much, people remember that. And so it, you know, I think with holiday parties, you know, around the corner and things like that, it's just about being mindful that yes, these are your friends and connections, but first they are your coworkers. Yes. So how do you honor the work environment without overflowing, you know, into something uncomfortable? And a final question I have for you as we close out, Sarah, is just around the relevance of certain jobs. Um, what jobs or career paths do you see as no longer being relevant as we continue into the future of the workforce with AI and the rise of more robotics? Yeah. You know, I think that it's going to be really interesting. There's a a variety of schools of thought on the timing of all of this. And, um, so some context before I kind of go into like an area that can trigger a lot of fear in people. Um, you know, I've, I've very intentionally asked a lot of experts from around the world, uh, about their view on automation of, of jobs and how AI and robotics are going to be eliminating certain roles and what that means for the overall workforce. And there are certainly a lot of shifting areas and, but there are also a lot of conflicting views on what roles are going to change and also what roles are going to be new that we don't have now. And so, um, so I think it's important to, to note that and some of them, some industries will, you know, go faster than others. You know, I think the, the drivers kind of areas is one that's super common to hear about, but it's also one that's very tangible. Um, but even that is not going nearly as fast as was predicted five years ago. Um, and in fact, in many cases it's being pulled back a bit. So, uh, but I would say, you know, you know, assistants, kind of like call receptionists, telemarketers, uh, travel agents, um, cashiers, you know, we see a lot of that in retail and such, uh, you know, bank tellers, all of those kinds of things we see. Um, 
there's some funny ones that I've heard of, you know, like, uh, photography lab processors or thing, you know, which, which is already with digital photography, almost, you know, probably taken such a hit. There are a lot of different ones that, um, are happening, but I, I, I hesitate to give, you know, too dire of, of, predictions on individual fields because the timing estimated with how quickly they'll go are, are really disparate. Yeah. Um, I would say that there, you know, in terms of career fields on the rise, uh, you know, medical, the medical field in general, um, you know, people care is, is something that's, you know, very secure. And it's also a hugely growing field, especially with the baby boomers. Um, you know, I would say that, uh, advice, advice, like that when it comes down to some elements of really customized advice, um, like financial advisors and things of that nature that, yeah, it's, there's, there's so much that's happening. Um, it's really tricky. You know, I think we have to pay attention to the, the writing on the wall in certain roles. If you're in a role, uh, I'll go back again to customer service, something like that, where you see a lot is happening that is automating, whether it's auto chat or, you know, certainly the, the, uh, the phone robots, um, which are, are getting quote unquote better, but are also, as most of us will attest, important, still importantly bad in many cases. And most of us would still rather talk to a, a human. Um, so even with that being said, that if you're in that role, you can start to look at how can I manage these softwares? How could I be, how could I translate some of what I know about the role into like, how does this work and how could I end up transferring it to managing it? Because a lot of the robotics um, and AI areas they're not going to eliminate the the need for the services, but they're going to shift how people, how humans interact. And they're going to shift a little bit more to managing and um, keeping the AI and robotics in line, essentially, or fixing them. Mm. Um, and so it's kind of like looking a little bit more behind the scenes, maybe, of our jobs than we typically would. Um like the, the, you know, the, how, how the sausage is made kind of thing. Like if you're so used to using a platform, it's great that you can use the front end of it, but like, how does that actually work a little bit more? How did it get set up so I could use it? Mm-hmm. You know, asking those questions a little bit more so you can start to get familiar. Cause that's the kind of, especially in technology where it's, where it's headed. Wonderful. Sarah, this has been so helpful. How can people use flex jobs, find you all of the things? Um, flex jobs. Yeah. Flexjobs.com. Um, and please check it out. It's actually national flex day, uh, and today, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and so flex jobs is a, a low cost subscription service. So I'd be happy to share the promo code save 30. If you'd like to give it a shot, it's very low cost, um, ranging from forty nine ninety five for a year, all the way down to fourteen ninety five uh, for a month. Um, and then plus the discount of save 30, uh, we'll get you 30% off. Um, and it's, we really hand screen every single job and company on our sites. We make sure everything is legitimate, professional, uh, offers some kind of flexibility and is a really friendly experience overall. Oh, so so great. I am sure that there's about 30,000 people going to flex jobs by the end of this thing. So thank you so, so much. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Hey there, it's Ash, and I am just reflecting on this episode with Sarah Sutton, and um, I just thought it was so fascinating to really tune into the future of the workforce and what's to come, and I really admire Sarah for her company, Flex Jobs, because 
you know, known as the queen of remote work, it's like, that is the direction we're going. Um, you know, I think as soon as in the next decade, we will be used to meeting a large percentage of our relationships um, as remote workers. And this gets me thinking so much about your own needs. And while the future of the workforce is going to ask more of us when we're up against robots and all of these different mechanisms that replace humans, it's also not supposed to mean that you don't get to tune into what you actually want because sometimes we think we're a statistic when we are so much more than that. And um, one thing that was really present for me when I was um, on a coaching call with a client the other day was um, before she had found me, she'd been job hunting for a really long time and she didn't really have clarity on what she wanted to do. So two zones that I'm really helpful with. And it was interesting because what I noticed when we had our initial consultation was that she started to identify with the fact that she didn't have clarity on what she wanted to do. She started to identify with the fact that she didn't have a job. And what does that mean? It means that she started to make it mean something about herself and what was possible for her in the future. And I found it so interesting to really notice um, this piece of her, because to me, that's what personal development is. It's realizing that you have seasons, you have waves, and the work, the personal development is not to identify with any of them. Even if you're in a long season that you do like or you don't like, you are more than your season, your life, your being, what's possible for you. It can change in a moment. We are all made of the same stuff. You know, Elon Musk uh, and all of these different innovators they have the same science going on in their bodies as ours. And yes, maybe they have some gift here or there, but you have some gift here or there. And I firmly believe every single person has come up with a million dollar idea in their life. And the difference between somebody who has gotten paid out for it and somebody who hasn't is that that person just chose to pursue it. And that usually has to do with the fact that when they were in a season, when things were bleak for them, they didn't identify with it. They didn't make it mean something about what was coming for them or what was possible for them. So I just want to send you that friendly reminder today that if you are in a long season right now, that is feels like downtime. Maybe you're having a down season in your love life. You've been dating and you can't find the person you want. Or maybe you're in a relationship and you're in a down season because it's just not working. Or maybe you're in an up season and things are great. And, and I find that when things are great, our fear of loss usually will kick in of, oh, I hope I get to keep this. The work is in detaching from your season detaching from the wave and not making it mean anything about you. So that's just the message that came up for me today when we talk about the future, 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 and all the things that are coming. I think so many people get daunted, intimidated. Um, and I just certainly thought about this client who now has a job offer and so much clarity on what she wants to do. And it's just so interesting to have seen when she came in, she thought the work was for me to help her get job offers, which it was to help her get clarity. But what it really was, was to help undo all the beliefs she's bought into about herself because she's been in a season and she attached to it. So how can you stop relating to the season you're in and start being in the greatness that you are?
Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.